Church family, good to see you all. Um, before we jump into our series we've been going through, I want to have a couple things I want to share. One is uh, we just came off a, a focus of our church. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but our, our vision for our church is develop faithful followers, reach our community, and multiply the church. And those are our lifeblood of what we're trying to do as a church and be known for. And so throughout the year, we have different quarters where we focus on each one of those things. And so from March all the way through May, our, our focus was on reaching our community. How can we do intentional things? And one thing we challenged our church was to reach five, reach five people. Just five people invite to church. Hey, would you find some way just to, to invite them to come? And you can't control if they say yes, but you can control just asking them. Uh, and so in that, we had a ping pong ball thing back there as a representation of people that were uh, invited and stuff. And so I just want to tell you, uh, in that time, we had, uh, from what ping pong balls represented, 187 invites to our church uh, during that time. Is that not amazing? Yes, you can be excited about it. That's cue to clap. Sorry, with the cue not up there. Okay, cue to clap. There you go, right there. Um, and I know there are many more from talking to people who didn't drop in the bucket, and so I'm not going to pastorally inflate the numbers as I'm tempted to do. But I just want to say, listen, think about this. That, that's 187 people that at least were given the invite to come to church. And we can't control what they do. But we can't control what we say to them in our intentional effort. And so I, I just want you to know, just because that focus is over doesn't mean it stops. That's meant to inspire us to continue on. Right now, we're in the focus of multiplying the church. And so we encourage you now to start thinking about having gospel conversations with people. Share your testimony with someone. As a class, start thinking about how can we multiply. These are conversations we need to be working on talking about as a church. I also want to celebrate today is Promotion Sunday, and so we have some new visitors in the room with us. First graders are officially joining us for service. Is there not excitement for that? Come on. First Sunday in. Uh, I'm so excited having them with us because they are not the future of the church. They are part of the church now, and so we're so excited they're part of us and joining today, and yes, you'll come to learn why your parents are so bored after they leave church from listening to me preach. So now you get first-hand experience. So, no, very excited to have them with us. Uh, we're in a series called um, Worship Matters, uh, and, and, and going through, uh, through uh, I'm sorry, the heart of worship. I forgot what even the series I'm on. We've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul to a church for a specific purpose, a sp specific issues. And, and so when we read the letter, you have to understand, when we open it up, you have to read it as though it was not written to you. You have to try to understand what's going on in the other church and what's going on in the situations with them. And so Paul, as he writes this letter, it is addressing specific issues in their church. And his letter became so valuable and so authoritative that other churches would start passing around to, hey, can we borrow that? And they'd read it. And eventually, as time went on, they said, listen, this is powerful. This is authoritative. This is of God. And they made it a part of Scripture. And that's how it came about, if you will. And so we've been going through this. And as we jump into days, I have to ask real quick, and I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but is, is anybody in the room a Oklahoma Baptist University grad? Anybody? A couple of you guys? Okay. Go Bison. There you go. Pride right there. Oh, easy, brother. That actually tees up where we're going. If you are confused on what that is, Oklahoma Baptist University, sometime, a long, long time ago, they started a chant called Carip. And supposedly, if you walk to any OBU student or grad and say, go with Crip, they're supposed to stop what they're doing and go with this chant. And I want to bring you in, and I'll show you on the screen. This is what it is. Every student learns this. And here's the chant. It says, Crip, Crap, Criplo, Tiplo, Tap. Oh, oh, rink to link to high autonomous, hopula, skipula, copula, godimus, chink to lack, chink to lee, kawila, kawila, victory. 
Oh, oh, hoogla chugla chugla can. Ragula tagula Melican man. Let's go rip. Let her go loose. Tingula tangula turn them loose. Zip bang OBU. Now, if you're ever at an OBU game or anything like that, it sounds like nonsense. It's just, oh, 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 I mean, that's what it is right there. And every single thing they do over and over and over again. I'll never forget whenever I was at OBU and uh, we had a, 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 a league game, a basketball game against Oklahoma State University. And so we show up and we're in this tiny little section up in the top where we're at. And OSU, you know, is a huge uh, Gallagher Arena and stuff watching the game. And, and someone says, hey, Bison, go with Crip. And we're up there, like all six of us going with Crip. And the OSU students are like, what are you saying? You're so weird, Christians, you know. Why, why? I'll just tell you, I've reached, there's no meaning to it. There's literally, there's no, there's no, like, surely, no, there's nothing. Someone just said, hey, this is a great idea, and then they do it religiously, almost sadly there. I tell you that story because there's also an old folklore story that I heard when I was at OBU. Because often ministry majors would get asked to come and speak at churches to fill pulpits or to go and speak at revivals. And there's a story about a young uh, ministry student from OBU that got invited to a revival to come speak. And when he showed up to service and was there, he come to learn it was a Pentecostal service. And so he's in a church with a lot of people who were very spirit-led and who were speaking in tongues. And he'd had no experience with this. And he came up and they said, this student has a special word from the Lord. And he just terrified, walked up the stage and had no idea, like, what do I say? And in a moment of weakness, he just, he just got up there and just said this. Carip, Carap, Cripple, Tiplo, Tap. Oh, oh, Rinkto, Linkto, Hypotonomous, Hopulus, Scipula, Copula, Gotamus. Chinktalak, Chinktalik, Quilla, Quala, Convictory. Oh, oh, Hoogla, Chugla, Chugla, Can, Ragula, Tagula, Melican Man. Let her go rip, let her go roost, Tingula, Tangula, Turn him loose. And he prayed practiced the sermon, went through it all, walked off embarrassed and said, oh my goodness, what did I just do? And person after person came and said, that was such an inspiring word from the Lord <laughs> that you gave to us today. God was clearly speaking through you. Why, why do I tell you that? I don't tell you that to make fun of people who speak in tongues or anything like that, but that is what we're talking about today. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul talks about speaking in tongues. And this is a very difficult topic for a lot of people because we just don't understand it. And so often what we'll do is we'll ridicule, we'll ostracize, or we'll nullify altogether what's going on. And Paul talks about it. And I think it's fair to be fair to Scripture as we walk through, uh, understand what is going on here. And so I want to read it, and we're going to unpack what's going on. And for your first graders coming in, what a way to start off your first Sunday, okay? <laughs> Rest of your life, go tell your friends, what was your first Sunday? Like, yeah, we talked about speaking in tongues at a Baptist church. Like, whoa. Wow, okay. So let's read what's going on as Paul has been going through talking about in worship services, what, what should it look like? How do you know if worship is being done right? Because we don't get to define worship. God gets to define how he's worshiped. And, and so are we doing it right? And so what, what is he talking about? So let's, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to read verse 1 through 25. Paul says this, he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Now, now real quick, never forget 13 that we just got done with last week, he walked through the famous uh, verse, like, love is patient, love is kind, talking about, listen, it doesn't matter what kind of spiritual gift you have, if it doesn't have love at the root of it, and love is not what you're doing it from, you're doing it wrong. And so he kicks off to remind them of what he just talked about. He says, hey, listen, pursue love, like, 
chase after that. Desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. Like he speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Like, I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. See, the person who, pro- person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that he may, uh, the church may be built up. So, no other brother, so now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Like even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether a flute or a harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played in the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, uh, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, uh, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? If you'll be speaking into the air, and there are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, and none without, me- without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and a speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in another language or tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. But then I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For uh, you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in your regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to his people by people of, uh, of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking to other tongues then is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church assembly together and all are speaking in other tongues and people or outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all, of you, if, you all, if all are prophesying and some unbeliever outsider comes in, he is convinced by all that it, and all, I'm having trouble today, and is called by account by all. See, the secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he'll fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. Now, now I want to unpack this and be faithful to what's going on here. And real quick, listen, for those of you who maybe come from a, a more Pentecostal background, or this is something you grew up with, listen, I, I want to be fair to what's going on and read and say, let's let Scripture dictate what's going on. Uh, I want you to understand, first and foremost, while Paul addresses tongues here, you need to understand tongues is really not his focus. There's an underlying thing which we will get to. That's not the focus. Tongues is the issue. Speaking in tongues is the issue going on specifically at the church of Corinth. And he's attacking what's going on and how they're handling the speaking of tongues in their church. But he's addressing a much deeper issue which we will get to, okay? Like Corinth is using tongues as a sign for spiritual maturity. They're ostracized and say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not as good as us. You're not, it's a sign for who is the elitist and who's not. And Paul here is talking about how spiritual gifts are for building up the church, not ostracizing people in the church. Are you understanding where he's kind of trying to get at? 
ultimately the big idea that we will get to eventually is this, is that worship should be edifying. Let me go real quick. If you did not grow up in church, or even if you did, edifying is a churchy word. Edifying literally means to build up. As a matter of fact, he says it over and over. It's meant to be built up, to strengthen. In other words, whenever we teach, whatever we do, we should be edifying in worship where people are drawing closer to God. They're being encouraged in their walk with God. They're being built up in their walk with God. And if that's not taking place, Paul ultimately is saying is, that's not worship. You're missing something. Okay? So, Again, we're going to get here a little bit to how, talking about how worship should be edifying, but I feel like to be faithful to the questions that we may have in our heart, let's start with the elephant in the room. Let's talk about speaking in tongues. Do I need to do Carip again? No? Okay. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Uh, what, what does it mean to speak in tongues? Well, what does it mean? T- tongues means languages or other words and stuff. I think the best thing to see is an example in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, where you see tongues taking place. One of the early examples in the new church. I just want you to listen to what happens. This is after Jesus is raised, the disciples are alone, and, and Jesus told them, said, hey, I want you to hang put until the Spirit comes upon you, and, and he'll tell you what to do. And they're waiting and waiting. It says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. So they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven, like all people from different backgrounds, different languages all there. It said, when the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one of them heard him speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? Like, how is it each of them, we can hear them in our own native language, our own native tongue? goes on and says, they finally they were astounded and perplexed and saying to one another, what does this mean? I love verse 13. They some sneered and said, they're drunk. That, that must be it. They're drunk on wine. And Paul, who, uh, Peter, who right after that is like, hey, guys, it's too early to be drunk and preaches the first ever sermon that starts the church. It's just a, an interesting text. Yeah, you see it right there where God uses people who don't speak the language to speak language to communicate something specific from God. And here it's like they're communing a kind of stuff. The natural question that comes for many of us is this. Is, well, is it a foreign language or is it just some kind of gibberish? What, what is it? In, in Acts chapter 2, it seems clear here we see a situation where they're speaking in other languages that are known. It would be like me who does not speak a word of Spanish suddenly going to Mexico and able to articulate the gospel in perfect Spanish. I, I don't know how I could do that. I mean, you see that as an example here. But you need to understand nowhere in Scripture is it prescribed that that has to be the case. It doesn't say it has to be we're speaking another known language in the world. I think what I'm saying is this. Often Baptists will try to come and say, or certain people, I'll say, will say, when we can't understand, well, it has to be a foreign language where God used that to communicate. And I think it's important where Scripture doesn't speak, don't make absolutes. If Scripture doesn't clearly articulate and say, yes, this is what it should be, don't go around and be the authoritative figure and say, well, it has to be this. You've got to be careful. When it comes to speaking tongues, like, what are the different views when it comes to that? Why is it so divisive? Well, you have view one where it's people who say it's still very active. If you come from a Pentecostal background, say, uh, Assembly of God, it's still very active, and they believe this is a sign, this is something that you have to have showing that the Spirit has come upon you. Some believe it is a gifting in the church. You have another view where some are called the cessationists. 
Cessationism is believes that there are certain spiritual gifts that were involved in the early church that are no longer applicable or needed nowadays. Certain supernatural, such as healing, such as speaking in tongues. And you have many predominant people that try to attest this. And say, before Scripture, before they had the New Testament, like, they needed something to establish the authority of the church, and God used supernatural giftings to do that. Now that we have the establishment of the church, now that we have the authority of Scripture, those things are not needed anymore. And that's what cessationists, most conservatives, would say. Now listen, I think there's a lot of merit to what they're saying, but you've got to understand there's nowhere in Scripture that gives a strong evidence for this. Most will try to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where Paul says, when uh, we come to fruition, these things will cease. I'm trying to find my spot and where he talks about it. Oh, verse 8. He says, love never ends, but as prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. So, some will try to point to that and say that that's where they're talking about, but yet he talks about prophecy ceasings as well. I, I think we've got to be careful to immediately uh, distinguish and say those things are not ethical anymore. I, I think view three for many of us fall in this camp. This is where probably many of you do. We're uncertain. We, we just don't know. We, we don't deny it, but we just want to avoid it, Right? I joke about in Baptist churches, we often treat the Holy Spirit like Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation. He's part of the family, but I really don't want him in the house, right? And I think it's the same thing. With Cousin Eddie comes speaking in tongues. I, I know it's there. I know it's in Scripture. I don't necessarily understand it, but I really don't want any part of my house, and I'd rather you keep a distance from me. And I think we've got to be careful of all this. Some people may ask, well, what's the stance of the Baptist church? The answer is this. You ready? There's not one. There's, there's not a stance. If you look in the Baptist faith, the message of 2000, which is our established statement of faith, they don't address it. They don't talk about it in there. And it leaves it to interpretation for us. And, and so when it comes to tongues, we have to separate what we do, do know from what we don't know. But what we don't know, in other words, there's no strong biblical support for is this. It isn't an angelic language. What we don't know, there's not strong support for it. We're against it. Has it ceased? We, we don't know. There's not strong biblical support against or for it. Is it used for private prayer? Some people try to say there's no biblical support for or against that. We need to be careful in what we say and what we judge. We need to be careful before establishing those things as well. But what we do know is this. Listen, we do know from what we see in Scripture and what we just read is this, is that without interpretation, it doesn't serve the church. If someone speaks in tongues and they are not able to interpret, or someone is not able to interpret what they're saying, verse 6, Paul clearly says, like, what's the benefit? And I'd make an argument in a case for this as well for people who say, you know what, this is my private thing. There, there's a conflict even in that. If you believe speaking in tongues is your private thing, there, there's certain hang-ups. Like, like, think about this. Like, if, if the ability to interpret intelligently, understand what people are communicating is essential to edification and corporate worship, what would make you think it's any different in a private setting? If Paul's saying it's needed so we can be built up, you need to be edified by understanding what's saying. How, how can you be edified in private when you don't understand what's being said? And in other words, let me say it like this. If uninterpreted tongues can not edify the church, how can tongues edify you in private? Or, or the inverse is true of this. If unintelligible tongues can edify the individual, why not the church as well? So I think it runs counterintuitive to Paul's argument. Occasionally, I have people come to me, and I have really close friends of mine who practice speaking in tongues. And they'll tell me, I don't speak in public, but I do so in private devotions, in my own prayer life. 
And I don't have a clear answer for them. Whether that's right or wrong, I, I don't know, I'll be honest. But there's certain hang-ups I say you have to wrestle through that I just can't get past. I don't know what to do with. For example, there's no instance in the New Testament of anyone speaking in tongues in private, in a prayer life. It doesn't talk about that. Can I say God can't do that? No, I'm not saying it, but gifts are meant for the body for us to use corporately. And so if it would be private use, it just seems to run in face of what God intended it to be. Second, when Paul talks about himself speaking in tongues, you need to understand this. Uh, he says, I, um, he ta- he's talking about it in a corporate setting, not a private setting. What we do know as well is that it's clearly a spiritual gift. For those who will say, yeah, let's dismiss it, Paul clearly in other letters talk about it clearly being a spiritual gift. And so for you to come say it's not worthy, it's not valuable, whatever, you're, you're nullifying what Scripture talks about, that it's a spiritual gift, whether you like it or not, it's there. Paul doesn't discredit it, even in this text. He doesn't say it's worthless. He doesn't say cast it aside. He says how they're using it is wrong. I mean, look at what he says in there. He says, listen, if you want to speak in tongues, there needs to be an interpreter. I wish all of you spoke in tongues as I did, he says. He says, if you do speak in tongues, pray that God gives you the ability to interpret. He doesn't say stop doing it. He says you need to seek interpretation. Do you understand? So for us to say tongues is worthless or, or not needed and to quickly discredit it, is not following what Paul's saying. I will say this about tongues as well. Paul gives clear guidelines for the church. Someone comes and asks me, well, what if someone starts speaking in tongues in the church? What would we do? We would open the Bible and follow what we see and say, are they following this mandate? What do, you, what do I mean? Paul makes clear, someone needs to interpret. If someone starts speaking in tongues every day, we say, well, there needs to be interpretation or this is not valid inside the church from what Paul talks about. We'll see here in the next week, he talks about it needs to be orderly. In other words, if everyone starts speaking tongues and it's mass chaos, it's confusing, that's not how God intended to be. You'll see that in, ch- in the end of chapter 14. He also talked about it needs to edify. In other words, if someone starts speaking in tongues and the result is it makes people feel outside, outcast, or ostracized, I feel left out and I'm confused and mis- misunderstanding, it's, not, it's destroying, not edifying. And Paul says it has no place. So in other words, when we see it, we should evaluate through Scripture. Now, now, before I go on to the meat of what Paul's talking about, let me just say this last thing real quick. Based on Paul's argument, speaking in tongues, you have to understand this is specific to an issue going on in the church of Corinth. And they're using speaking in tongues to separate and delineate and, and, and to ostracize. And it's creating confusion and division. And that's why Paul's saying this is not right. I would make a strong argument in this. Any spiritual gift that does that, Paul would substitute in for tongues. If teaching was something that we held as elitists and those who have and have nots and make people feel ostracized, Paul would be talking to our church like, the way you teach is not right. That's not how it should be. The way you serve is not right because you treat it as a way to distinguish and separate people. Paul is making a point. What's the point? It's what goes back to our big idea, that worship should be edifying. And so when you see verse 1 through 5, his big thing he's talking about there is this. Spiritual gifts should edify the church. He says the person who speaks in tongues, he says they might be speaking to God, but they're only speaking to God because God's the only one who understands what they're saying. They're talking and talking and talking. No one understands the mystery. Only God is. So he says what? He says, I want you to pursue gifts that edify, that build up the church, and he recommends prophecy for them. He says you should pursue prophecy because it gives clear understanding. 
Now, prophecy for many of us, same thing, seems like a mystical thing, like, okay, it predicts the future. That's what you see in Isaiah and Daniel and Revelation. Those are prophetic in nature, but prophecy in true sense is this, a word specifically to the Lord for a specific set of people. God uses prophecy to communicate specifically. There's a difference between teaching the word for understanding and prophesying the word so I can communicate specifically what God's trying to say to you. Do you understand? In other words, let me say it like this. There's a prophecy is a certain gift that I believe all preachers should contain to a certain degree. Because I believe God has established people in the church to speak to a certain body. And there are times when God compels me and other leaders to speak to you on things that are specific to our church. In, in other words, there's a difference between you listening to a podcast of a preacher you admire and love and coming and listening to me preach here or another local pastor. Because while that pastor might pre- teach you amazing things in depth, that pastor is speaking specifically to their audience on issues that are going on with their church. And too often people try to substate, well, I listen to podcasts. No, you're not subs- uh, submitting yourself under the gift of prophecy inside your church where God may want to be speaking to you specifically. That pastor doesn't know you. I do, and God wants to speak to you through me and through others who fill the stage, if you will. So Paul explains why it's so valuable. Look what he says in verse 3. Why is prophecy so much better, he says, in this situation? He said the person who prophesies speaks to people what strengthens and encourages and consoles them. These are the signs of what edification is. Edification strengths and encourages and consoles. In other words, if I'm using my gift and if I'm the only one being edified, then something is off in my worship and the use of my spiritual gift. If I stand here and start speaking in tongues and no one else is edified, guess what? Something's off. If I'm preaching and I get done and people go, I had no idea what that dude was talking about, guess what? Something's off in what's going on here in my teaching and my ability, what God has blessed me with. In verse 1 through 5, he's talking about that. He says, listen, you need to pursue gifts that build up. He says, prophecy is one of those gifts I think that would be applicable and useful to you. Unless, he ends in verse 5, unless you have an interpreter for the tongues, then it would be useful to you guys. But without the interpreter, it is useless to you. The second thing, verse 6 through 11, he talks about is not only should spiritual gifts edify the church, but worship that is confusing is not edifying. If people come in and they worship and they're confused more when they came in and they leave than whenever they first came in, something's off in what's going on. He says in verse 6, he says, So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless to you with the revelation or knowledge or proof or teaching? How will you understand what I'm saying if I'm communicating this whole time and you're just not following? Paul uses three instruments to illustrate, or three things to illustrate his point. He first starts with an instrument. Look what he says. He says, even if lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will uh, what is played by the flute or harp be recognized? In other words, when you hear an instrument, if someone doesn't know how to play it, and it just sounds like a, you know, sixth grade band orchestra, you ever been to one? You go, those are one of the things only parents can love right there. I'm telling you right now, I've been to them as a student minister, and you show up, and they're playing a big old percussion or whatever symphony and stuff, and you're like, oh, gosh, this is terrible. Like, you just can't appreciate what's going on. Parents are like, that's lovely. It's like, you are a good liar. That is not good at all. Paul's saying this, listen, if someone who has an instrument doesn't know how to use it and can't produce a melody, you know what happens? You, You rob the beauty that comes in that instrument. You rob the beauty that that melody can partake and give. 
In other words, if you ascribe this back to God, if we come to a God and people can't even appreciate the beauty of the melody of a church coming together and practicing their gifts, guess what? God becomes boring. God becomes bland. God becomes one uh, that is awkward. I, I don't understand him. He uses a bugle as another one that was used to call to battle. Look at the next verse. He says, in fact, the bugle makes an unclear sound. Who will prepare for battle? Like the inability for us to call to action or respond. Like if we get here and we can't communicate a way that convicts the heart and stirs in us to do something, guess what? It leads people to believe that God expects nothing of us. That God doesn't stir in us. That there should be something almost every time you come to church that stirs you to some kind of action or calling. The realization that, listen, I need to do something about what I've heard. I need to change something in my life because of what I've heard, what I've experienced, what I've seen. And if you can't produce a note that makes sense, you can't produce something in that, you're not calling people to action. He concludes with speech as illustration, the inability to be understood. If we speak and I speak and you can't understand a word I'm saying, I go and listen to myself uh, after to try to critique myself and become better as a preacher because I want to be better at communicating. One of the things I know about myself that frustrates me is when I get excited or pursuing a thought, I talk faster and faster and faster to the point that I start slurring my words. And although it makes sense in my mind, I'll listen to myself and go, what in the world was I saying? I have no idea. I'm speaking in tongue. I don't know. Like, it's just, it's just slurring out. Here's the reality. Listen, if I do that in such a way that is not understandable, what happens? It makes God confusing. It makes God distant. It makes God unknowable. Understanding clarity is the key to edifying others. It's a key. And when people come here in the church and they hear what's going on, they see what's going on with worship in all aspects, they should leave here with a deeper and better understanding of who God is. Not leave here more confused, like I'm way more lost than when I first came in. Can, can I say this? Listen, that the same is true, in my opinion, of boring and confusing pastors. <laughs> Uh, Todd Fisher, who's the president of uh, the Baptist Convention of Oklahoma, one of his big pet peeves, he said the most cardinal sin of every pastor is this, don't make the Bible boring. Don't do it. I can't tell you how many pastors that I've respected and admired who are friends of mine and stuff I sat under and they preach and I go, what in the world were you saying? What were you talking about? And your average Joe who comes in and listens, hears them and looks at them and they think, Man, they must be more spiritual than I am, and something must be off in my walk with God, and they leave, what, frustrated with themselves because they're just not interested. They're bored to death. They're falling asleep. And the reality is God's word is powerful and magnifying and breathes inspiration. And when we preach and do it in such a way that bores you or confuses you, guess what? We are not practicing worship as Paul's talking about here. Do you understand why Paul, I'm saying, could substitute any one of these gifts in what's going on? Paul says in verse 12 then this, so, so the challenge for us is this. If, if spiritual gifts should edify the church, and worship that is confusing cannot edify the church, from verse 12, what does Paul call us to do? Sorry, my pages got turned all around. He says this, so, also you, he says, since you are zealous, since you are passionate, you are hungry for spiritual gifts, he says this, excel in building up the church. You want to excel in something? I know you're passionate. re Focus yourself on this, of making sure whatever you do is edifying and building up the church. Refocus it. Refocus it. And so in other words, he goes on for some application in 13 through 25. Like, how do we strive to edify? Look at verse 13 through 20. 
He says, therefore, it's a transition. He says, therefore, the person who speaks in another tongue, what does he say? He doesn't say stop. He says what? Pray that you can interpret. In other words, is this. Strive for clarity in your own understanding. You want to know how to be more effective in your use in the kingdom of God and your spiritual gifts? Strive for clear understanding for yourself. If there's something you don't understand, don't just live in that confusion and call it good. It's not good. Confusion just like, I don't understand this. I need to understand it. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 14, he says, in other words, he says, mindless worship doesn't edify anybody, not even us. He says, for if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, what? My understanding is unfruitful. Can I tell you something a, a really wise person named Jesus said? He, he told us once that he wanted us to what? Worship in spirit and in truth. Every fiber of our being and every fiber of our knowledge used to worship him. He would say another time, he says, how do you love God the most? You love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and what? Mind. And if you're coming to God with mindless worship, you're not giving your all to God. Now listen, I'll say this real quick. Sometimes Baptists, I'm looping my selfness, can fall into the camp. We're okay with pursuing God with all of our mind, and we check our heart and soul at the door. Neither of those are okay. Neither are my brothers and sisters who pour their heart and soul to God, but have no idea what they're doing. And because it feels good, it must be good. That's not, that's not okay. It's not. But Paul is saying, listen, we, we can't pass off ignorance as faith. That's ultimately what he says in verse 20. He says, brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking. He says, be infants in regard to evil, but an adult in your thinking. In other words, when it comes to evil thing, maintain innocence. But in your thinking, in your processing, in your living out, you, you need to be mature in that capacity. Now, now make no mistake, there's a limit to what we can understand to God. God is an infinite God, and we are a finite being. And to say we can completely wrap our mouths over every aspect of God is arrogance at its finest. But it doesn't mean we don't stop striving for that. But we need to make sure in our worship services it's understandable. I'll never forget when I went to OBU, I went potluck on my roommate my freshman year. If you don't know what that means, it means you're just saying, put me with whoever you want, which for an introvert like me was a terrible decision. Terrible decision. I got stuck with a missionary kid named David from Oregon. His parents were missionaries. We met. I know I'm odd, but this dude was odd. I'm just going to say right now. Like, we roomed together, and he just, he just, there was just some weird things uh, that, that happened. I mean, it's just, he was just an odd dude. And I remember one day I came in, he got involved in the Bison Glee Club, which is singing stuff, which is great and whatnot. But I came in one day, and he's listening to Mexican music. And it just, I, I, I'm just like, it's all in Spanish. And I said, what, what's going on here? He goes, oh, I just, I love this music. I go, what are they saying? He goes, I have no idea, but it's beautiful. And I'm like, what? And he's trying to sing, and he has no idea what he's singing. And, like, imagine if I walked in, and he's singing La Cucaracha, and this is just powerful. It's like, you know what that's talking talking about a cockroach. And you're saying this is beautiful. Like, listen, sometimes we do the same with God. We come, and we have no idea what we're saying or doing, but we think if we're just giving it our best, and our heart's in the right place, God's going to bless that and love that. God wants us to mature as believers in our understanding. In other words, listen, you're not called to check your brain at the door when you come. 
He ends, not only should we strive for our own understanding, but in verse 20 through 25, he says this as well. He, he tells his brothers and sisters, uh, he, he talks about wanting us to strive for clarity so others can understand as well. He says, the whole church assembly, in verse 23, comes together, and all are speaking other tongues, and people who are outside or believers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? <laughs> what, what was the first thing they said after they saw them speaking tongues in Acts chapter 2? Are they drunk? I, imagine... Imagine if Peter never said a word, never got up and clarified what was going on. Listen, don't make no mistake. It was powerful because speaking in tongues got their attention, made them stop what they're doing and say, what's going on here? But Peter went on to clarify who they are, what they're about, and what's going on. And the church started that day. When we refuse to make ourselves understandable or communicate what's going on, people look at us and say, it's confusing and it's crazy. And I feel like I'm being left out. I've had people I love and respect pray in tongues over me. I appreciate sincerely their heart. I do. And it means a lot, their passion. But can I tell you, for me, who was sitting there receiving that the whole time, I, I, I left feeling insecure and ostracized. It's like, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know if I can say amen to you because I don't, I don't know what you're saying. And I felt like the outsider looking in. And listen, that, that's not what our gifts are meant to do. And that's where Paul's hang-up is. That's where Paul's hang-up is. And so everything in worship service should be focusing on making people understand what's going on. The great Charles Spurgeon once described, says, sometimes we mistake when Jesus said, feed my sheep, we mistake it to believe he said, feed my giraffes. You say, what does that mean? For, for giraffes to get food, you have to put it high so they can reach it. But for sheep to eat it, you have to put it low so they can understand and read it and take it in what's going on. In other words, listen, when it comes to worship service, our ambition should be to make it so clear that everyone can understand. And can I tell you, listen, this is so challenging for myself. It's challenging for Grant leading songs up here that we sometimes just get suckered into understanding the language. Do you know how hard it is to go, hey, you remember when Moses in the Red Sea and someone who's never been raised in church go, I have no idea what they're talking about. And if we don't clarify and speak it, suddenly they're ostracizing what's going on. And so our emphasis is trying to make sure that everyone understands because God has called us to feed his sheep, not the giraffes. Does it mean we stop seeking growth in our walk? No, but we feed the sheep. We feed the sheep. Make no mistake, listen, people often get hung up here that tongues is what Paul's talking about. Paul's issue is this, is that worship should be edifying. Every Sunday, I'm going to say this, when you leave this place, you should leave here, hopefully have grown in some aspect, been challenged in some aspect, some way grown deeper, saying, man, I know more about God. And I want to say this, if you leave here more confused than when you came in, we have failed in every aspect of what we're doing. Youth, children, worship, adults, greeting, everything. We've missed it. So we need to make God clear. We need to do things that build God up. My, my question for you is this. What are you doing to help with that? How, how are you edifying building up the church? I know I bear a lot of responsibility in this because I'm the one holding the microphone doing the speaking. But listen, that wasn't what he was talking about in, in chapter 12, about the body's approach to help edifying what's going on. 
How often do you sit next to people next to you and realize they're confused? Hey, let me help you be more comfortable and understand what's going on here. Your first time at worship service, come sit here. There's no assigned seats. Hey, let me help you understand what this singing is about, what this worship is about. How often are we doing that for other people? You play a pivotal part and role in what's going on, but are you doing anything with it? How many people come in here wanting to find God and leave here going, I'll never understand that God? And they give up. There's a person we've lost the opportunity with. So I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just allow the Lord to speak to you for a second of what God's calling you specifically to do. For some of you right now, the sound of my voice right now, you may be one that constantly leaves here not edified, confused. And maybe you need to come talk to myself or one of the other leaders in the church and say, hey, listen, I need help in understanding. There's an onus on you to pursue God with all your mind, heart, soul, strength, and and all that you are. How can you help others in this room pursue God? We have first graders in here today. First time. I'm willing to bet for many of them right now, they're probably confused. Parents, listen. It's not too late for the edifying process of on the way home, talk about what was talked about today. What did you learn? What were you confused by? Help, let me help you understand. Maybe you don't know the answer, but you will find the answer. Father God, I pray that everything we do would make you clear and clear and clear. I pray this would be an edifying body, that people would come to be known, come to know you, know what you're about, and know what you're calling them to do when they leave here. God, I know for myself and others, we often get in the fishbowl that we can't see what areas we're missing or where we're falling short of. And God, I pray you'd help us to see with better clarity. For parents in the room, help them take the responsibility of edifying their kids at home on the car rides, making sure their kids understand what's going on. For our own personal lives, I pray you'd convict us to be edifying in our own hearts. God, if there's something that we don't understand, help us, help us to strive to find better understanding of what's going on. Help us to play our role. God, I pray you'd be glorified through what's going on. God, I pray if there's a certain person that sounds in my voice is confused by it all, it may be because this truth right here, they've never come and given their life to you. They've been trying to play a church game and do the right Christian things. They've, they've been trying to look Christian, but they're not, not, they are not a Christian. In other words, they have not given their heart, soul, strength, and money. They have not given their life to you. They don't understand the gospel. And today they need that cleared up. Maybe today they need to come talk to me or one of the other leaders that will be around the room and ask what it means to be saved. Stir in us, I thank God. Call us to action. Help us to know you and be known by you. Jesus, I'm going to pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you stand. Uh, maybe God's stirring in for you. Maybe you realize you're being called to something more. Maybe, maybe you realize that, you know what, I, I don't know this Jesus that Eric's talking about, and today's the day that you need to respond to that. I'll be available. We have JD, one of our elders. We'll have others available in the back. Uh, I encourage you to go talk to one of them. Let them walk you through. Help them. Let them edify you today. Don't leave here confused. I'm going to ask that you would sing as we worship together.